Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Today we have someone on the show that I've spent quite a bit of time with. His name is Paul Crawford, and he is the president and CEO of Ordermatic Corporation. He's also someone that I have known in, in different contexts and look at this guy as one of the most sincere leaders that I have ever encountered. Paul is someone who cares deeply about his family, cares deeply about his, his company, his faith. And he's the kind of guy that you could have almost any conversation with and you'd feel like he cared deeply about you and about what you're involved with. So I'm so happy to have Paul on the show today. Paul, welcome to the Strata Leadership Show. Thank you, Nate, and I'm honored to be here for sure. Well, your journey as a leader is one that I am really looking forward to uh, learning more about because the path that you have taken to get where you are, the type of leader that you have chosen to become is one that is fascinating to me because you really exemplify the growth mindset, someone who's always trying to find a better way to, to think and do things. But now you're at, in this role of CEO, you are president of Ordermatic, which is a, a company that's been around for a long time. If you could look back in, in your career, what is one thing that you wish you had known when you began your career? No, that, that's a great question. You know, I, I think I would have liked to know that there are so many different types of balances that you've got to learn. I mean, for instance, right, you've got your home life and your work life balance. You've got another big one for me was realism versus optimism. But probably the biggest one, honestly, that I've dealt with and and struggled with has been that uh, the balance between dependence, independence and interdependence. Let me give, give an example of that. So when I came to Automatic, it was it was not in a good way. And, I, and when I signed on, I didn't know it was not in as good a way as, as I believed. I like a challenge, for sure. I didn't realize how much of a challenge it was going to be, just so, so much of the history that I was going to be fighting. And I remember after about a year, Nathan, I'm driving down the road, and I am... I'm struggling because I'm trying to be the positive guy coming in and, and let so people can feed off of that. Right. So I'm driving down Covell. I'm headed east on my way to work and I'm listening to Rachel Platten's fight song. I've got it cranked up and, and I'm singing at the top of my lungs, trying to get that energy and that, that fight to say, you know what? I can do this. You know, this is my fight song, you know, whatever. Tears streaming down my face just because I felt all that weight of I've got to do something. And I remember hitting that, and I'm praying at the same time, and I hit this uh, stoplight at uh, no, the stop sign, uh, what is that, Bryant and Cavell. And I swear I heard it as clear as day. I, mean, I just heard God say, you know what? This is a story that you are participating in, but it is not about you. You know, that was the most freeing thing I could have heard at that moment because I had taken so much, I mean, independence. I'm an independent child. I was a middle child. I, I was always going to do it on my own. But I had taken so much of that on myself, it had just become overburdensome. And I, I forgot, this is, a, this is a new level. This is about interdependence. This is about learning that you have other people that are there that want to work with you, that have some amazing qualities and amazing experience. And you need to, you can choose to try to do this on your own, or you can choose to actually pour into them and see what you can do together. And that was a, a real turning point for me, where I, I mean, that kind of, 
tilted the ship and started going in, the, in a better direction. You also helped on that retreat we went on where you told me to quit thinking of yourself as leading the team and start thinking of yourself as leading the leaders. And that was even another gear, I felt like, and that turn where I was really starting to get to that point where it was like, okay, now how do I do it? How do I build other people up in a way that they can do so much more? And it's it's really not just about me. I, that was a great lesson. I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm still learning it. And I still fall back every once in a while into trying to figure out how I can do it on my own. But I think that's something I would have liked to know is, you know, you already stand on the shoulders of great people to get where you were. So don't pretend that you got where you are by yourself. And then look forward and say, don't think that you also have to go the rest of the distance by yourself either. I mean, this really life is such a team sport and I was choosing to do it the wrong way. I, I would say definitely balance uh, in that respect oh, is probably something I wish I'd known. I appreciate you going there because you went there in a hurry, uh, starting right off. And I'm not surprised by it because I, I know Paul well. This is a guy that is not going to give you the story that he wishes he had. He'll tell you the true story. And so I appreciate going there really quick because the people who are listening in into this podcast will completely understand what you just said. Any leader who has ever attempted to do something that was beyond their capacity to just show up and make it happen, they have that moment where they realize either I've got to step down, I've got to change my direction, I've got to change my mindset. And that day, I'm so thankful that it was so clear to me. Because it's not always that clear. Yeah. So you start digging a little bit deeper and you start looking around for, for people who can help you. And, and on the faith side, you know, it's one of those things that most people don't have a growing faith because they're not involved in things that require faith. They, they yeah. do things that are safe. Yeah. So looking at your life and, and your life as a leader, can you tell me about some of the people who helped shape you to get to that day? when you kind of graduated into that next part of the world and then beyond, who are some of the people who helped you? Oh, oh wow. I mean, right. That's a, that's a big list, right? I mean, I, first of all, I, I really won a lottery in the sense that I was born into a family that loved me. And the older I get, the more I realize that is a lottery pick. My grandfathers were both strong men uh, that took time with me. They showed me that every person has any value. My dad has been extremely impactful on my life. Uh, I think uh, he was the head of the Postal Training Center down in Norman as I was growing up. And he taught me what it meant to be the head of an organization without it letting get to your head, which was great. My uh, father-in-law is a very strong leader. He uh, was in the military. Uh, he really taught me to ask why and to make sure that, you, you know, you keep focus. Probably the most recent one, though, that I just, I mean, I, I was just, fascinated by because he really changed my world was Aubrey McClendon. I worked at Chesapeake for about six and a half years. And I know uh, Aubrey is one of those guys, either you love him or you hate him. I loved watching him because he did with 12,000 employees what I struggled to do with 20 or 30. He made everyone feel like they were of an important part. He recognized the point that you got to choose to work there. You didn't have to. He didn't take you for granted. In my opinion, he was larger than life. The vision was inspiring, but he always treated employees with such great respect. So I think those those are just some of the people. Of course, there's also teachers and, and spiritual mentors and an amazing wife that stands with you through all this. Those kind of people, you don't realize what you're picking up from everybody, right? Uh, as you get old, I mean, there's just, you have this basket of, of experiences and, and talents. 
and you start to realize how other people were so kind as to, to connect with you, to give you time, and then to pour into you. I just wish I was younger uh, when I figured that one out. So speaking of uh, younger, tell us about your life growing up. Where did you grow up? Oh, yeah, I grew up in Norman, Oklahoma. Like I said, my dad was the head of the Postal Training Center down there, which I didn't realize when I was younger is kind of a big deal because he never acted like that was a big deal. He was the kind of guy that would never, uh, you know, when they redesigned the training center, he wouldn't have his own parking spot. They said, you get to pick your office. He made it smaller than uh, the designer wanted to do that. He shared a bathroom with the conference room. It's just a good, humble, kind man. I grew up, went to Norman High, <laughs> went to uh, Oklahoma University, not because I wanted to, but because that's where, I, uh, that's where dad was going to pay for, and I was very grateful to have that education. And then ended up getting my master's at OSU. Here's something that's interesting. You know, so many people, when it comes to their careers, you have two things. You have either an arrow or you have a pinball. My wife is an arrow. She graduated from Oklahoma Christian with a degree in education. She is now a professor at UCO of education. Brilliant. Straight and, straight and narrow. I'm a pinball, and I think most of us fit into the pinball category, which is I graduated, I became a, a youth minister, and then I went into IT and just kind of ping-balled around, not realizing that everything that you're doing, you're picking up those experiences, those, those skills, which just broaden you to a great way to prepare you for things like CEO. Well, it is interesting to see how the idea of the generalist is picking up so much momentum because you really do benefit from having so many different perspectives. And for those who are listening in who aren't from Oklahoma, just for the frame of reference, when you think about this training center that he's mentioning there in Norman, Oklahoma, which is the home of the University of Oklahoma as well, don't think facility. you got to think campus. And not just a campus. This is a, a large campus where people come in from all around the country to receive high-level training that it has a conference center in the training room. It's more of a university than it is just a, a specific one-room or two-room kind of deal. It's an amazing place. So looking at that pinball, people who have that mindset often don't find the path to leadership as early as other people might. So if I had met you in high school or maybe at OU or later at OSU, and those who are not from Oklahoma, again, Oklahoma State University and, and University of Oklahoma are the two premier largest state institutions, both doing amazing things. And then he mentioned his wife teaching at UCO, that's University of Central Oklahoma, that is, a, on, again, an, an, a great institution with, yeah. uh, I don't know, 15, 16,000 students there as well. Yeah. So if I'm looking at you and I met you in high school or college, do you think that people would have just assumed, hey, this is a guy who's going to be doing leadership stuff later in his life? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I think it really depends on what avenue you would have met me in, right? Because it's interesting when you choose to fill voids or not. So I, when I go back and look at the places where I stepped into roles, it's because there was a void and it was an institution I cared about. And it just made sense that that's what you do when you care is you need to be there. So I've ended up in that way. When I was in 10th grade, one of my teachers did a, you know, had a, a there was a program called Tomorrow's Leaders in Norman. And it was the first time that I actually wanted to try for something. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And I remember getting into that and somehow that program just that the community, the chamber of Norman put together 
really changed the way I thought about myself in a way. So when I got to the, you know, you start talking about in, in college, yeah, I did, I did leadership things, but not in every context. I mean, there were larger contexts where, where there already were leaders established and I wasn't, I'm not the real ambitious. I'm going to, I'm going to fight my way up the chain. If there are good leaders, then I'm going to back off and, and let good leaders do their thing and be a good follower. But every once in a while, I would happen upon things where there were, I mean, there were, what well, I call it a void. And there was a void and it needed somebody. And if I care about the organization, then I have a responsibility to get in there and do something about it. So I would say that's probably where most of my leadership stuff would have been. And if you were in one of those organizations, you might have thought, yeah, that's someone that would lead. But if you were in one of the other ones, you would have thought, I guarantee there's a lot of people at Chesapeake that would have looked at me and said, hold it, he, CEO, are you sure? Uh, and, and I would that totally makes sense. I did. I did not have an ambition at Chesapeake to rise up the ladder because I saw what it was doing to some of the people on the on the way up. It was an interesting environment. Well, that you, absolutely. And if you listen back to what Paul was just talking about, you start hearing these values that emerge of caring, of being aware, self-aware of who you are, and then others aware. Relationship management, more on that emotional intelligence side of seeing. Where is the need and how can I fill that need? When you think about leaders, and you think about the characteristics of the leaders that you have admired or that you are using for your own future, pacing you, what would you say is one characteristic that you think every leader should possess? Oh, um, no, uh, absolutely. That's an easy one. It's, uh, I call it realistic, realistic optimism. And this is an inter- this is another balance thing to me. It's one of the ones that I had to figure out. You know, I've heard that most businesses, uh, new businesses, tend to fail because it's just this over optimism, right? It's, it's. Uh, we had this guy come in with this product, and he's like, "Mine is the best product out there." He was all great about it, except for the fact that he had zero on the market, and his competitor had five thousand. And no, it's not the best on the market because it doesn't exist on the market. So his optimism was so high that it eventually ended up destroying his effort. So there's this balance that you've got to maintain that says, yes, I believe in what we do. I believe in my people and I believe in in our product or our service. But at the same time, I have to be able to look at it with this level of realism that says, and I can see where we need to get better. I believe you can always get better. I mean, I don't don't know why in the world somebody would think that you you just really can't. That would be sad to, to me to not be able to get better at something. So you, be, you need to be able to balance that. If all you looked at realism, if all you looked at was the realism, then you would never take a step because there's always too many factors against you. There are all men, always too many problems and you'll just be scared to do anything. If you look at optimism only, well, then you're just going to be so excited that you're going to walk off the cliff believing that you can fly and you can't. So somewhere you need to balance those things together and together then you, you'll be able to actually take good measured risks probably more risky than most people will take because you believe in yourself and you believe in the people that are with you. That's a great response. And and again, for those listening in, what you'll hear him getting at is there's a moment where a strength goes from being a strength to a weakness. Mm. And that tipping point moment where, you know, I'm I'm so optimistic and and, and for a lot of the time, it's really helpful, especially at the executive level. But there's a point at which it not only is not a strength, it becomes a weakness. They're naive. They're not really paying attention to what's happening in the market, et cetera. And so finding that equilibrium 
really requires experiencing some failure. So looking at your experience and, and looking at the intersection of failure, I don't know any great leaders who do not have stories of when it didn't work. So when you look at your own experience as a leader, can you share a time when there might have been a, a failure that was a, a, ended up being a teaching moment that you could share with us? Gosh. No, I, I mean, I, I think the absolute biggest one was the one I mentioned of trying to, to do everything on my own. Oh, I, I mean, I've got, I've got so many failures. That, that should be an easy one to pull up, but it's uh, which, exactly which one uh, you pull. Well, as you're thinking about it, oh. it, it, in part, I, I would point out that what you're getting at is a mindset. Mm. And that the, the failure may not just be one specific moment, but it was a way of looking at the world that no longer fit. Any thoughts on that? No, I would totally agree with that. I mean, walking into a situation where you are completely overwhelmed, right? Uh, you're walking into something you haven't done before. You're going to tackle something that is just, it's beyond your current ability, which I think is, is not a horrible place to be. There are so many things that you can do that are beyond your current ability. But being able to adjust constantly, I, you know, I, I always mention Teddy Roosevelt's quote because I live by that quote, do what you can with what you have where you are. A long time ago, I was teaching my kids the value of work. Honestly, I just wanted the backyard and there's way too many sticks in it. So I had the kids, I have twins. So I lined up right in the middle of the backyard, drew a line, said, okay, one of you's got this way. One of you has this way. My little, my little go-getter, you know, always trying to do the right thing by mom and dad just sits down, starts picking up sticks and throwing them in. It's no big deal. My other one is a very big picture kid. And he looks, I mean, it's just like, you know, looks over on that side of, and he just can't move, can't function, completely stopped. So I, I grabbed him and I realized what was going on. So I took him all the way to the fence where he's just right up against the fence. And I said, okay, let's take two steps back. We took two steps back and I said, now look down. Can you pick up that many? And he picked up that many. I said, now we take it two steps back. Can you pick up that many? And we started doing that. And I taught him the, that lesson of eat the elephant. He hated that quote so much. You know, uh, you got to learn how to eat the elephant uh, one bite at a time. He hated that quote up until this last year. He's in college now. He, he saved up his money. He bought an iPad because of graphic design. That's what he wants to do. And, and this was the, the choice uh, tool. And he, when he brought it to me, he showed it. He said, Dad, he goes, check this out. And then my new iPad, I'm like, oh, cool. I guess look on the back. You know, you can get it engraved. And it said, learn to eat the elephant one bite at a time on the back. I thought that was what a huge transition, right? To go from saying, I, I hate this lesson to understanding the importance and the value of it. And I think that's really what I've kind of gone through myself in this is this is a much bigger elephant to eat. And not only just this company, but also of, of what's going on today in this company. But I had this whole history behind of what is coming along with the baggage I didn't sign up for on it. Well, I didn't think I signed up for, but it was still something that I had to work with. And now at that same time, I mean, we're finally starting to work with it. It's uh, the problems coming out are my problems. I'm excited about that, honestly, because I wanted to earn my problems. The problems are coming forward and we're just starting to make steam. And then this pandemic comes in and it's just what a mess trying to deal with that, because that really just kind of threw a lot of quirks into the work as, as we started going forward. So that whole being able to stop being able to, to breathe. I like when you, you say that because I need 
people around me to do that with and then just say stop what can you do where are you take a step and you know one bite of the elephant it just seems like that lesson keeps getting repeated for sure well this process of becoming a leader what what i am hoping for in our podcast is that people who are listening in recognize that that path is never just a to b there are so many different things that come into play and just because you don't feel great about what you're doing doesn't mean you're not making progress. And so I, I look at where you are and I think about that approach and, and the fact that your son had the awareness to have that engraved on the back of that iPad that he'd earned. What an amazing moment for you as a parent and just watching somebody take ownership of their own life. So looking at the, the challenges that you face post-pandemic and you think about the challenges that other people face, before we get into that too much, can you tell us just real quickly about Ordermatic and what Ordermatic mm. does so that people can have a bit of a context into why the pandemic might have impacted you perhaps differently than some? Oh, excellent. Because it's an interesting story. Ordermatic originally came in in 1955. 1969 is when it became a corporation and it worked with the quick service industry, specifically Sonic. So that was a beautiful relationship, and these two companies worked really strong. And it's fun to hear the stories of the people that were on that journey because they'll talk about it with such great fondness. The majority of them talk about it with such great fondness. That's neat to see. When I got there, there had been a separation from Sonic because Sonic had gone a different direction, and Ordermatic was kind of floating as in, who are we now? So we had to reestablish our identity, which was a big deal, that we were a manufacturer which was just a little bit different than what we had been when we were strictly Sonic's right, it's kind of like Sonic's right arm. So now we're primarily a manufacturer that has this great audio product as well. And you would think, well, with the pandemic, that'd be perfect because you're talking about drive-throughs and drive-ins and we specialty in drive-ins so that you should have been killing it. Yes, except the majority of products that we make were for a growth mode. So for instance, I mean, no one goes and buys a new menu, menu sign sign every year. I mean, that's something you buy and you use for, you know, until the thing just falls off, basically. So if people were not going to build new buildings, that was going to be a problem. And a lot of people, companies, if they weren't struggling, they were putting on the brakes really hard trying to figure out what's our game plan? How does this play out? How long does this go? And I don't think any of us really thought this was going to (laughs) be initially. We kind of thought, oh, this will be a few month thing and then we'll go back. So for us, It was interesting because half of our business increased because those were ones that were just strategically, luckily aligned within a pandemic, right? To make it advantageous. On the other side were people that really struggled. Some restaurants ended up just losing it. So that's where, where we came in as we were kind of navigating that. So we got some ups and then we got some downs and all it was, it was hard to navigate. And now we're finally seeing that as companies are starting to swing in and say, yes, we need drive through and yes, we need or drive in. Actually, if you look at a lot of these models, it's more than just a drive through because they're trying to figure out it's always been a queue management. How do we take our parking lot and turn our parking lot into additional ways to service the queue? They put up signs, right? Carry out, drive, you know, or, or mobile order, whatever. And we're able to help along those lines as well. So that's where we were as far as the pandemic. So everybody kind of had a, a reset at that time yep. in, in areas that were inefficient or unhealthy. We all had to deal with in a way that we had not anticipated, at least on that timeline. 
So when you look at the challenges facing leaders today, now that things have cleared up a bit, uh, still, you know, there's, there's always going to be that uncertainty. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing leaders today? Oh, gosh, there's a, there are a ton of those. I think there's, there's one called choice fatigue. I'm sure you're, you're all into that. I heard that on a podcast called The Happiness Lab, uh, which is a really interesting podcast. But one of the, the episodes was dealing just on the choice fatigue. And when you consider this last year, that lead, it has stunk to be leading anything for this last year. It has just been a barrage of choices that you are forced into with zero good options. Every option hurts somebody or everyone disagrees or has their own method of how to get through this because none of us have been through it. I mean, it has just been a struggle. So after an entire, I mean, we're a year into this so far, a year of making choices or making decisions with no good choices, it has, it wears on you. I mean, it wears hard. And I, I told you about that general malaise that I feel. I just wake up and it's like, oh yeah, we're still here. Oh yeah, this is still going on. And trying to get past that into, okay, it's, it's another eat the elephant moment, right? It's like, okay, what can I do right now, right here with what I have? Let's do that. And let's and keep our aim, our strategic aim on where we're heading and just do everything we can today. So I, I think for leaders right now, God bless them. I mean, it's, this stinks. There's so many times I would have enjoyed being a follower during this point. And I, I would have gladly given someone else the, whatever the golden hat or whatever they consider it. Again, if you hear the heart of Paul, this is the reality of leadership, is that you can be an effective leader choosing the best path available and it not be something that you want or the people that you're trying to uh, lead want, but it is the actual best path forward. And, and that's the challenge of being a leader is that it's not, to his point, there's not always option A is great and option B is obviously not. So, Continuing on that theme, and I so appreciate your, your time today, and I know that you've got uh, a ton going on. I want us to start focusing in on, on, on the uh, conclusion of all this, but I want us to keep on the path of you're talking to someone who is in a leadership role for the first time. And this is not age-related. You can find yeah. yourself in a, in a leadership role for the first time, really, at almost any point. But if you were trying to give some advice, which I know leaders ironically struggle with giving too much advice, they know too well that, you know, being a consultant type is not necessarily the most helpful in helping somebody, you know, but that idea of if you had to give advice, what would you give to someone who's going into leadership for the first time? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a few things I'd look at. I would say, number one, follow a good leader. I mean, if you're if, if this is a new job, right, and you're wanting leadership, I mean, walk in and looking on who you're going, you're, you are becoming something. You are becoming someone. You are a journey, not a destination. So if that's going to be the case, then start looking at where you're going. Find mentors. Find people that you think are doing it right, whatever that means to you. And then take them to lunch and interview them and say, you, you, you would not believe how much good that puts in the world when you sit down with a, an older person and you say, your life is valuable and I value what you have to say. 
I mean, they will pay for lunch. You know, if, if that's your if that's your hang up, I, I I would do it. I mean, how great is that? Because you both walk up feeling you both walk out feeling valued. So I would definitely say that number one, you you've got to be following uh, good leaders, and then you've got to be asking a lot of questions. I think what was it the the line about just being curious? We've got to learn Thomas, right? Thomas Hill uh, really is great at that. I, and uh, I love listening to him because he's always going to ask. Oh, Trevor also. Trevor's also great at Trevor Nutt. Great at that. Always asking questions that make just showing genuine interest in people and whatnot. And I think that's something that will help you as you start to kind of move along to figure out what exactly means. What does it mean to you to lead? And where do you want to become? Because you, the last thing you want to do is climb up that ladder of leadership and find out you didn't want to be on there in the first place. And if you would have talked to somebody who had gone up that, you might have learned enough to prevent you from taking some wrong steps. So earlier you mentioned the uh, Happiness Lab as a podcast that mm-hmm. was helpful to you. Do you have any other resources that uh, or, or um, ways of getting resources or inspiration that are, have been helpful to you? Oh, absolutely. When I was younger, I was, when I was a youth minister, I was living in, in big victim mode at a certain point in that time. And I, I somehow, I don't even know how I stumbled onto the seven habits of highly effective people. But Stephen Covey just hit me square between the eyes about wake up. I mean, I'm allowing so much of this because of my attitude and my choice to act in that way. It was masterful. So that that was a big one. I I love podcasts. I think uh, what you're doing is awesome. I love the Happiness Lab. That one's just, that's a great story in itself. I listen to one called Business Wars, uh, which is interesting because it reminds me that I'm creating a story that is bigger than myself. And I like to kind of envision 20 years from now talking to, you know, grandkids and, you know, telling them this story of what's happening today. It kind of gives you that real big picture on what's going on. You know, but the biggest, the best resource you will always have are going to be good friends, a loving spouse, uh, a wise mentor, uh, persistent prayer, things that will travel with you on the journey and quit worrying about whether you're there or not. You're not there. Quit worrying about being there. You're on the journey. That's the fun part of this is every day you're getting up and you're putting on your backpack and you're and you're trekking a few more miles. And it's nice to have people with you along the way that are going to help you remember how special that is. It's not for everybody. It, it, it's not. But if you're going to go alone, it's probably not for anybody. And when you've right. got people like that in your life, mm. it, it makes it worthwhile. Preach. Paul, thank you so much for being a part of our, our show today. And... If you are looking for the drive-through partner who's going to help you uh, succeed, if you're looking for the ultimate drive-through experience, if you're trying to create the the drive-in experience that um, yes. that that could that you're looking for someone who can really help you with that, 65 years of of uh, business. Check out Ordermatic.com and learn more about what they're doing there. I would also encourage you to find Paul Crawford on LinkedIn. One of the things that he does that I think is really interesting is that he honors the memory of Aubrey McClendon Mm -hmm. by providing quotes from time to time, whether they be from uh, Aubrey or from other people. But I have respected greatly your desire to uh, show him honor by, by doing that. And for those who don't know Aubrey McClendon, 
he is one of those people that you may not know his name unless you are in the world of, of uh, the, the energy industry, but he has definitely impacted your life. And he is someone who revolutionized the future of America in how they changed the future of energy and really took America to a very different place. And uh, he passed away a number of years ago and was one of those people that invested heavily in trying to make life better for people. And so if you want to learn more about Paul, to see some of those quotes from Aubrey McClendon or Theodore Roosevelt or other people, follow along with him on LinkedIn, and you're definitely going to find someone who seeks to inspire We are so grateful that you have listened in today on the Strata Leadership Show. We believe that it's the responsibility of leaders to set the pace, to set the tone. And today, you have the opportunity to do it. Set the pace, set the tone, and make life better. Look forward to seeing you next time.